2 Peter chapter 1 this evening. We started a series last week. It's simply entitled this, Add. Add. It's a path to godly living. We've got to add. The Christian life is not something that you enter into and immediately becomes easy. The Christian life does not have all your problems solved. It's not kind of a snake oil elixir where, you know, once you have it, you've kind of got everything figured out. Uh, When you begin the Christian life, it's actually, as I've said many times before, it's really an uphill battle from there. Uh, Imagine being, and many of you were this way, a new convert who just believed in Christ. Now you kind of have to get a whole new set of friends. You've got to get a whole new set of hobbies. Uh, You've got to become basically an entirely new person in Christ uh, because the person that you were before probably wasn't that good of a person. And now you know Christ and you want to be more like Him. And so the Christian life is about adding things. And that's what our sermon series is about, adding these specific Christian graces that Peter mentions in 2 Peter chapter 1. We'll see them in verse number 5 and 6, but we'll read verse number 1 just so everybody understands the context of the passage. Verse number 1, 2 Peter chapter 1 says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God, And our Savior Jesus Christ. So before you get too far in the passage, you must understand that he is not writing this letter in hopes that they will get saved. He's writing this letter to people that have already been saved. He says, because they've obtained like precious faith. And and I mentioned this last week, that your faith is no less valid or no less important to you or impactful to those around you than the faith that Peter had. It's just like his faith. It's like precious faith. And just because you didn't get to sit around campfires with Christ doesn't mean that your faith doesn't matter. You still believe in the same God and you still are loved by the same God. And and I'm just so thankful that just because Peter walked with Jesus doesn't mean that I can't have the same kind of faith that he had. It's written to saved individuals. Verse number 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. Our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. We do not need some new revelation or new addition. We don't need a book from Joel Olstein to help us live the Christian life. Now, if you like reading Joel Olstein, well, I'm sorry, but but we just don't need all these people that come to us with new solutions to problems that we don't even really have, the Bible says God has given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Everything you need to be like Him has already been given by Him. So that being the case, He has already given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Where How do we come by these through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Boy, that's a good verse there. Man, we have so many great promises, and they're so precious to me. There is no promise in the Bible more comforting to me than, He hath promised He will never leave us nor forsake us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. What a blessing that is. That's a promise of God. But these great and precious promises were given to us for a very specific purpose in verse number 4. That by these exceeding great and precious promises, ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, make haste, work at, focus on, giving all diligence, add, there's where the sermon series comes from, add to your faith virtue. That's our sermon tonight. Virtue. Last week we looked at faith. See, the beginning of every Christian's life begins in faith. 
And we'd be very wise to understand that it does not end there. Our faith does not end at the point of salvation. Our faith is to grow and develop. And we looked last week at Hebrews chapter 11, how any great feat for God was accomplished by means of faith. The Bible says the mouth of lions were shut because of faith. Many diverse diseases were healed and and helped because of faith. Any real spiritual battles that are won are won by means of faith. So faith is not something that we only have at salvation. It is something that very much carries over into our sanctification, into our discipleship, our life of living like Christ. So faith is so important for us. So important, in fact, the Bible says, without faith, do you all know the rest of the verse? It is impossible to please God. For those that come to Him must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Your faith matters, friend, so don't neglect your faith. And last week the title of the lesson was, The Foundation of Faith. Because Peter does not introduce faith as one of these graces. He says, faith is the foundation of the Christian life. Everything else ought to be added to your faith. And this week he says, virtue. Boy, how our world needs some virtue. What we must understand is these graces that Peter mentions, these seven graces, they are not commandments. You see, what happens is we kind of look through the Bible and we find all these commandments and before too long we're kind of adding one link to another chain that only weighs us down. We find different things in the Bible and how many of you would say that if you wrote down one lesson from every sermon you've ever heard, it would take you all day to read the lessons that you've heard, that you've made in your life? We hear so much preaching, we have been Christians so long that if we're not careful... The Christian life will become a life of obligation because, well, we have to pray 15 minutes a day and we have to read our Bible 15 minutes a day and we must read through our Bible once an entire year. And, and, you know, we kind of get this idea that we just forge another link in our chain and eventually the Christian life becomes something that just weighs us down. It's not a commandment. What you must understand is Christ fulfilled all the obligations that you owe to God. In other words, He fulfilled the duties of the law. Now, it doesn't mean we don't live according to the law. It just says that Christ fulfilled the obligation to the law, thereby the law is not grievous unto us. It's not grievous unto us because reality is we're probably going to mess up every now and again. Chances are we're probably going to screw up and we're going to feel bad and And man, it would be terrible and we'll feel guilty. But Christ fulfilled the commandments. He fulfilled the obligation to the law. So this list of Christian graces is not commandments. This list of Christian graces is also not qualifications. So here's what we like to do. We read through a list like this. And and we kind of say, well, if you're a Christian, you'll do these things. Well, I, I believe that Christians will have these things in their life. But we kind of use them as somewhat uh, yardsticks to beat other Christians with. In other words, we say, well, they don't have virtue, so there's no way they're a Christian. They don't have humility, so they're not a Christian. They don't have godliness, gentleness, meekness, faith, charity. They don't have those things. And so we kind of make it this list of qualifications that everybody must do. And man, preacher's sermon this morning was so helpful to me. How many of us wish we had lived our life up until that comma? Right up until the comma, but he says he was faithful in all these things, but in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. I'm so glad that you are not there to see me at my lowest points. But oftentimes we use lists like this to say, oh, our neighbor, they go to the bridge under the water church. They don't do that. They're not a Christian. This list is not for that reason. It's not commandments. It's not a list of qualifications. It is this, a list of qualities that every Christian ought to seek after with their whole heart. In fact, I believe these can kind of sum up the quality of your Christian life is if you have these qualities. How much are you enjoying your Christian life? I'm also thankful that God doesn't just desire to make us a bunch of mindless drones that are all the same. 
I'm glad that God's not up there stamping out clones, aren't you? Now, we're to be like Him, but I I find it so unique, this relationship we have with God, whereby we are to be like Him, but we still retain the integrity of our own person. I love hearing preachers preach. There's all sorts of different preachers. I like funny preachers. I like powerful preachers. I like the preacher that's just incredibly deep. I'll never forget we had Dr. Ken Bates. He's a, he was a rocket scientist. He was flying over one day. Uh, I think NASA was flying him over. The government was flying him over. He was working for the government in some role as a rocket scientist. He's flying over the country and he prays to God. He says, God, if you'll give me a church, I'll pastor it. Well, not too long after that, God gave him a church and he surrendered to be a pastor. And since that time, he's been a pastor and we had him preach. Now, what you got to know is Brother Bates is a a weird dude, okay? He's way smarter than any of us. So if he's going to preach to us, he's got to dumb it down for us to understand, okay? And I'll never forget, I was sitting right up there. I believe Miss Dyer or Miss Bernie was by me. Now, I only think it was one of y'all because at one point he mentions the... I always thought of Thor's hammer, but he said, and the hammer of God's word. Like, I mean, he's talking at this intellectual level that none of us understand. And I looked at whoever it was and their, their eyes are like big as hubcaps just thinking, what is this guy talking about? And I enjoyed him. Okay. I enjoy all kinds of preachers, but don't you find it cool that Preachers can love the same God, live for the same God, spend time with the same God, and yet all preachers are unique. Some preachers speak to me maybe better than other preachers. I just find that unique. And I'm, I'm also thankful that in our real everyday Christian life, even amidst a bunch of lists like this, God is not up there saying, well, I don't want you being funny, or I don't want you having your own thoughts. I think that's awesome that God loves us enough to retain the good parts of us while trying to change those parts of us that don't resemble His Son. We're to be conformed to the image of His dear Son. I like that. This year, Chevrolet will make 41 different types of vehicles. Now, these vehicles, they vary greatly. They might be a Chevy Volt, which is their electric car. It might be a Chevrolet, Camaro, or a Corvette, which are beautiful cars, by the way. Um, maybe it's a, a pickup truck, a Chevy Silverado, or a Chevy Yukon, or, or what, whatever the vehicle is. They make 41 different cars. Now, these cars serve various purposes. For instance, if you have a big family, Corvettes might be awesome, but they're probably not that practical. I'll never forget me and Brother Sean got to go to spiritual leadership conference together one year and we got a Mustang uh, at, at the rental car place. They were mixed up and they were really busy and they just looked at us and said, how many are in your group? And we said, there's only two of us. And they said, you can pick from any car in this line. And it was just a line of Mustangs. And we're like, oh, this is awesome. So we got a convertible Mustang to go to this preacher's conference. We rolled up. Man, I bet they were jealous and I hope they were. It was awesome. Man, we think we got it for like $12 a day, something ridiculous like that. And, and we got to be in this. But the problem was fitting our bags was kind of an issue. <laughs> you know, me and Brother Sean kind of filled the car up. There wasn't much room for anything else. But, so if you have a big family, maybe a Corvette would be cool, but it may not be practical. If you're trying to haul a TV, maybe a Chevrolet Volt may get you good gas mileage, but probably a Silverado would be a better pickup. I, I think that's... Unique that they have 40 different makes and mo- 41 different makes and models, or models at least. Why? Because they serve different purposes. But there is one consistent theme through them all. They are all marked by their maker. Every one of them share the same logo. Every one of them have certain qualities about them that is the same. Now, they're not all the same. They all retain integrity. They all retain personality. They all have a specific and special purpose, but they all are marked by their maker. And what this list is, is it's not this mold where God pours us into and says, now you have to be this way. No, it's God's marking on his children saying, my children will look like this. And the first thing he says that we ought to add to our faith is this, virtue. Boy, how our world needs virtue. If we're going to have virtue, we must first get an appreciation of virtue. 
Our world needs virtue, but I'm not sure our Christian brothers and sisters realize how much our world needs virtue. See, virtue is defined very perfectly, I believe, as any particular moral excellence. Uh, For instance, these types of things would be modesty, purity, integrity, chastity, humility, honesty. All of these things are our moral excellencies. They, it deals with our morality, and that's really what virtue is. It deals specifically with the morality of an individual. Are, do you believe things are right? Do you believe things are wrong? And, and morality is, as a Christian believes, make sure, making sure that our rights align with God's rights, and God's wrongs also align with our wrongs. We must appreciate the fact that this world needs some moral people living in it. This is not a leftist or rightist poll. This is just simply a very broad-based poll. But 71% of Americans believe that America's morals are progressively getting worse. Where have the other three been? If 7 out of 10 believe morals are getting worse, where are the other 3 at? Because I don't think there's any doubt America's morals are getting worse. I mean, uh, Lucy and Ricky wouldn't even sleep in the same bed on TV, and now you can't... I mean, adultery and fornication are just pumped into our living rooms, and, and those are at least the natural sins, right? There's also those of homosexuality just pumped into our living room, berated upon us all the time. And, and so... America needs moral people, virtuous people. 81% stated that the morality of America is fair to poor. I would believe that. And I would call your attention to the, pre, the, the last election that we had. You know, the one that was done with great integrity and, you know, very moral and virtuous. I don't really care who you voted for, but... But man, it was just a moral mud-dragging contest, wasn't it? Donald Trump would often call Hillary, crooked Hillary, telling everybody that she lied, trying to point to the fact that she's been caught in very, uh, just, a, just a ridiculous amount of lies, and he was questioning her morality. Hillary and the Democrats called anybody that was voting for Trump a basket of deplorables. And they were calling everyone who might be on his side just a wicked, just a vile, immoral person. Michelle Obama delivered a speech and she said this. This isn't about politics. It's about basic human decency. It's about right and wrong. Did you know that's exactly what virtue is? Knowing the difference between right and wrong? You see, our world needs moral people more now than I probably would say it's ever needed them. Our morals aren't like everyone else's morals, though, because you'll see, number one, our morals are defined by the divine nature of God. Verse number four, I want you to see this. The Bible says, "...whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of..." The divine nature. You know what's great about God's divine nature? It's always right and it never changes. Did you know people that are right do not need to uh, surrender positions? People that are right don't need to, you know, if I say the grass is green, I don't have to stop saying it's green because it hurts your feelings because you think it's yellow. Or Well, now, it's, now it is yellow actually. You see, it doesn't really matter. If you're right, you're right. And right never needs to change. And that's why God never needs to change. It's because He is always right. Aren't you so thankful that God's divine nature is unchanging? The Bible says, With Him there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He does not need to change. He does not need to alter or secede certain things in His His character or His viewpoints on things. Because God is truth. Capital T, truth. 
Aren't you thankful you've served that kind of God? Aren't you glad that God's divine nature is not dependent upon the interpretation of nine Supreme Court justices? Some of the worst follies in our country's history have been determined by nine Supreme Court justices who did not only uh, were not just interpreting law, but they were defining law. Aren't you glad that no, there's no vote when it comes to God and what He believes? There's, there's no vote on His stances. His stance is right, and He always stands for truth. God is the picture of perfect morality. And His goal in our life is to see our morals and our virtues align with His nature. Our world needs virtuous people more now than it ever has. Who ever thought that we would actually have to debate whether it was wrong to slaughter children? You say, where is that happening? Oh, Planned Parenthood every year, about 300,000 every year. Whoever thought that we would have to sit down and discuss with someone whether it was whether a baby who had a heartbeat and whether a baby that had cognitive ability and a baby that was fully functional and moving, whoever thought we would really have to convince those people that that baby had value? Whoever thought? But our morals are not defined by what makes people feel good. Our virtue is not defined by emotion and it's not dictated by what popular majority thinks. Our virtue as Christians ought to align with the divine nature of God. He is always true. He is always fair. He is always righteous. And therefore, the things that we believe, listen to me, Christian, listen to me. We can unapologetically believe it. I am just amazed at how many Christians these days feel bad for believing what they believe. I don't feel bad that I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. I don't feel bad for believing a man that is born a man will always be a man. And yet it's like we actually have to kind of turn our heads and look the other way when everybody else wants to scream at the top of their lungs when even science itself disagrees with them. You don't have to apologize for what you believe as long as you believe what God believes. We agree with His divine nature. But there's also a second reason that we ought to appreciate virtue. Not only because it agrees with God's divine nature, because there is a dividing purpose involved in virtue. Now, I touched on this last week. I did not go into great detail, but the purpose of 2 Peter was to give Christians knowledge and encourage them in the knowledge of God because Peter was predicting the fact that false teachers and false prophets would come in and begin to teach false doctrine. You can see that in chapter 2 of verse number 1. The Bible Bible says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. So the first chapter is encouraging them to prepare for battle Because basically in chapter 2 he says, now you're going to have to equip yourself with knowledge because false teachers are coming at you. So one of the entire purposes of 2 Peter was to equip people and let them know that false teachers were coming. Now it's unique that in the New Testament we find about three of these what I call like lists of Christian living. One of them is the list of the fruits of the Spirit. It's found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The Bible says, it's on the screen so you don't have to flip there, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, if you notice though, our lists do not perfectly align with one another. Now, there are some that do agree and some that disagree. There's another list. It's Paul's list written for Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. So we have now two lists in the New Testament 
kind of their guiding list for the Christian life. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, you need to flee certain things, but you need to follow after these things. And now here in 2 Peter, Peter's giving these folks a list, and this list is for us as well. So it's beside this in verse number 5, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Now, I found it unique comparing these lists. And if you're interested in it, I can tell you that only three of the words exist on all of the lists. One of the words exists on two of the lists, as do two of the other words only exist on two of the lists. Now, I don't know if I described that, but I have them all color-coded. It's actually a really cool study if you're interested. But the words that agree are these. Faith, love, and patience. Now, that's just for your, just to note Faith, love, and patience are included on all the lists. Those would be great attributes to focus on in the Christian life, I believe. Faith, love, and patience. But as I studied it, I asked myself this. Why would the lists differ? You think about it. They're all lists written to Christians to help them in living the Christian life. The fruits of the Spirit are. Timothy you got to surrender, you got to get rid of certain things, but you got to follow after these things. And now Peter says, give all diligence to these things. Now, I wonder why the lists differ. And this is the only thing I could come up with. Because they solve different problems. Now, now they all are perfect. They all apply in the Christian life. They all matter for daily Christian living. But as I said before, Peter's main purpose was to help these Christians understand false teachers were coming, right? We all agree on that. Okay. So here's the problem that Peter, I believe, is trying to solve. He says, you're going to have the divine nature of God. When you get virtue and and all these other graces of the Christian life, you'll begin to align yourself with God. you begin to look more like Christ. Listen to me. And less like antichrists. False teachers are coming. They enter in at chapter 2. As we look more like Him... We look less like them. So there's a dividing purpose in virtue. Oh, it's not to think ourselves better than other people, but it sure distinguishes us from them. Peter even said in 1 Peter, he says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. Now, Baptists have fit in that category for a long time for all sorts of strange reasons. But Peter was saying, we ought to look different, be different, act different, talk different, believe different. That's why we ought to value virtue. Because as we look more like heaven, we look less like hell. When we look more like Christ, we look less like the devil. We ought to value and appreciate virtue. Number two, though, in our study, not only should we appreciate virtue, but there should be an accumulation of virtue. Do you all remember what the study is called, what our whole overall lesson series is called? It's called add. So we ought to add things. We ought to get these things and put them in our Christian life and and, and utilize them. There is an accumulation. In verse number 5, it says, add to your faith virtue. And it even says in verse number 5, giving all diligence. Take great care to add this to your Christian life. I want you to understand this. Any great accomplishments in your Christian life will not be easily won. You see, you don't read through the Bible in a year without great sacrifice. I, I bet it would startle you to know how many Christians have never read through the Bible in a year. We were sitting in a coaching basketball class one day 
And uh, we were all there, these young minds, thinking we knew everything about the game of basketball and knowing that some of us would go on to coach basketball. And I'll never forget the first day of class, the teacher walks in. He was the basketball coach at the, at the college I went to. He said, how many of y'all have read the rule book? Not a single one of these 25 young men who were wanting to coach basketball had ever read the rule book of basketball. You know why? Because it's just been handed down to us. Our coaches taught us what a double dribble was. Our coaches taught us what a travel was. Our coaches taught us. And in the Christian life, here's what happens. Preachers, teachers have taught us how to live it, but we've never read through the rule book ourselves. No great spiritual victories come without great sacrifice. Too many Christians are not understanding how much diligence ought to be given to adding virtue to their faith. For years and years, I think some of it's our fault as preachers. We've kind of, you know, we, we, we've used thoughts like this. We've said, uh, when we talk about becoming a new creature, we use like a butterfly as an example. You know, the centipede crawls into the cocoon and then goes into the cocoon and then after 5 to 29 days, ask me how I know, I looked it up on Google right before I came in here tonight, but after uh, 5 to 29 days, the, the butterfly or the, the, the caterpillar becomes the butterfly. And we've painted this idea that it is an immediate transformation to look like Christ. I don't believe that's the case at all. Here's, it would be awesome if we could take some, like a new convert. Somebody comes to church, gets saved. It would be awesome if we could just take them away for 5 to 29 days and inject them with every bit of God's word. You know, like get them away from the world, you know, kind of like a mini youth camp of sorts where they just kind of go into the cocoon of Christianity and we indoctrinate them and help them understand that God loves them and God's helping them. But that has never once happened in all my life. Where somebody comes down here, gets saved, we welcome them into the church, and then we sweep them off to this culture that's entirely Christian. You know what Christians have to go back to? The same things they came from that morning. And when butterflies come from the cocoon, they're not still developing wings. Those developed in the cocoon. They're not still trying to sprout another leg. I mean, when they come out of the cocoon, they're an entirely different creature, right? I mean, they don't look the same, act the same. But I promise you this, somebody who is an alcoholic is going to struggle with alcoholism the day after they get saved. I respect greatly people that say, I was smoking, I put down the cigarettes, never picked them up again. But for the, most, for the rest of us humans, that's not the way it is. Because while we are given this new nature, in Christ we look like a new creature to God. But the reality is we're still going to deal with the old man. We still carry around this bucket called flesh and we struggle with it each and every day. So how do we accumulate these things? Well, number one, we must learn of Him. I want you to see in verse number three in our study... The Bible clearly says, according as his divine power hath given us uh, unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us unto glory and virtue. Now, how do we have this godliness and virtue? How do we uh, get these things that pertain to life and godliness? Through the knowledge of Christ. Before you can be like Jesus, you must learn who He is. Amen. There's a great Bible story. You know it, so I'm not going to insult your intelligence by reciting it to you. But basically, Martha and Mary invite Jesus to their home. Martha is very busy taking care of the home and taking care of the guests that are in the home. And at one point, she looks over and Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And the Bible says she's just there listening to his words. And Martha's over here, you know, maybe cleaning dishes or filling sweet tea. I mean, I don't know what she was doing, but she was much cumbered about with serving. And Martha gets so frustrated with it, she looks at Jesus and kind of forcefully says, Lord, don't you think she ought to be helping me? And Jesus says this, One thing is needful. 
Only one thing is needful. Now, serving God is great. I believe it's God's will that every Christian serve Him. But only one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen the better part. She is sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's hearing the words of Jesus. She's learning of Jesus. And you know what that helps Mary do? Become like Jesus. We oftentimes don't take full advantage of the privilege we have of spending time at the feet of Jesus. And how are we ever going to learn about His divine nature and be equipped to handle the corruption of this world if we don't spend time with Jesus? Only one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part. So, first of all, we must learn of Him, but secondly, we must lean on Him. Verse 3 says, His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Do not miss this. Whose divine power has done it? Not ours, because our power is not divine. Neither is it universal or authoritative in any right. Our power is weak. His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So not only do we need to learn of Him through the knowledge of Him that had called us to glory and virtue, but... His divine power has given unto us the ability and have the things that pertain unto life and godliness. So we must not only learn of Him, we must lean on Him. Now I can say this without any shadow of a doubt. Every Christian in this room has been called to look and live like Jesus. For whom He did foreknow, them also did He predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. So I know that God wants you to act and talk and live like Jesus did. Now, how do we do that, though? Because that's the problem. I know God wants me to live like Jesus. I want to live like Jesus, but sometimes the execution is where I fall flat. So how do we do it? This is what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Remember I said earlier, the Christian life is going to be... done through great diligence. It's, it's going to be accomplished through great work and labor and discipline. I've never met a great Christian who was slothful or lazy in their Christian pursuit. You must give diligence. You must work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to do and to will His good pleasure. I don't know if I'm going to be able to explain this well enough, but it is God which gives you the desire to will to look like His Son. It is God that puts that in you. It is God that inspires you. It is God that encourages you. And it is not only God that inspires you to look like Jesus, it is God that equips you and enables you to live and look like Jesus did. For it is God that worketh to will and to do His good pleasure in your life. So we must not only learn of Him, we must lean on Him. The accumulation of virtue. We ought to endeavor to be like Jesus did. The Bible says God hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Here are some things that I think probably He's given us. He's given us a book that we know is His Word. You do not need to question whether you have God's Word... God has blessed it throughout the centuries. You can follow God's hand of blessing on the book you hold in your hand tonight and know that that's God's stamp of approval on that book. You have God's Word. Not only do you have God's Word, but you have the Spirit of God that will guide you in that Word. Aren't you glad that you don't need me to interpret God's Word for you? I don't understand half of it myself. Aren't you glad that you can understand God's Word as the Holy Spirit reveals it to you? God's given us His Word. He's given us His Spirit. He's given us Christian fellowship to encourage us and to keep us accountable. If there's one thing that's neglected in too many Christians' life, it is this, depending and relying on other Christians to help them. Hey, it's okay to ask for prayer. It's okay to admit where we're weak in areas that we're not so strong. It's okay we need to rely on those that are around us. God has given us Christian fellowship. God has given us a church to learn His Word and to serve Him. God's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So this is how you accumulate virtue. 
So we ought to appreciate virtue. We ought to accumulate virtue. We ought to see what God thinks on things and believe those things. And then thirdly, here is the application of virtue. Now we're almost done. We're like 25 minutes before the, the turn of the hour. So Brother Sean told me I average like 14 minute a point. So you're going to be out in about 14 minutes, okay? This isn't one of those six pointers like last week was. It only got three tonight. What would the application of a virtuous Christian look like? See, uh, I was reading in some of those polls, almost every person polled thinks they are better than average when it comes to morals. But see, not everybody can be better than average, therefore average is now not average, (laughs) you see. Everybody thinks they have better morals than the average person. And there were studies and scientific evidence to support all this. This is an interesting article. If you want, you can read it. But, but everybody thinks morally they stand a little higher than the people they're around. And as a Christian, I do think we ought to be there at least, right? I mean, God is defining for us our moral values, our virtues. So... If God is who He is and who I believe He is, then if I agree with God, I probably ought to be a little better than average. But how does that apply in everyday Christian life? See, that's the issue. God's not worried about, well, maybe He is, but I'm not worried about how many Christians there are. I'm worried about how many Christians are actually living like Christians. You see, It seems in our day and age, everyone's a Christian. Everybody goes to church. Go door knocking with me if you don't believe me. I mean, you can't even get somebody lost. You ask them where they go to church and they say, the bridge under the water church. You say, who's the pastor? They say, oh, you know, oh, brother, you know, know." everybody's a Christian now. But I think that God wants Christians to implement their virtue in everyday life. So whether you work on staff up here at the church, God wants us to be morally above reproach. God wants us to be virtuous on staff. Whether you work as a secretary, whether you work as a contractor, whether you work as a plumber, whatever, God wants you to have morals where you are. So what does that look like, though? Well, there's a few stories in the Bible I would kind of think of, my mind goes to. Number one, Joseph. You could trail Joseph's life and see virtue Literally throughout it. Man, what a moral young man. You see that one day he's in Potiphar's wife and she comes to him and says, lie with me. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Then the Bible says, day by day. She comes day after day saying, lie with me. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. Potiphar is trusting me with all of his house. There's nobody in his house who has more authority than me. How could I do that thing? And, and then finally, the Bible tells us that eventually she tries to take him by force. And he leaves his coat there and he leaves the scene. That's virtue. It's virtue because here's what we think. We think only women should be chased. We think women should only be the ones that think pure when it comes to sexual things. But man, our world needs some men that are chaste. Some men that believe that God has created their wife for them. And they love them entirely as Christ loved the church. We need some pure-minded men in this world like Joseph was. You say, Brother Andrew, if I had been in that scene, uh, uh, you know, I would have I definitely split from Potiphar's wife. You know, she probably wasn't that good looking anyway. I'd have definitely left the scene. That's okay, but where would your mind have been after that? Yeah. See, Joseph needed to get out of that situation because he was so virtuous. We need people like that. When on the job place, flirtatious things don't occur just because your spouse is not there. When you, you don't even think about touching another man's wife, because not because you're afraid of what that other man might do to you, you're just a virtuous man. Let me just say this here, just like a side note. Don't hug my wife, guys. Just don't. Just don't. I like doing it, but that doesn't mean you get to. If you want to put a ring on it, right? I did that, Okay. So I just, I think I quoted Beyonce right there. I'm not entirely sure, but maybe I did. 
Look, don't hug my wife. Shake her hand, and I'll shake your wife's hand. She's my wife. I've committed to her for life. She has done the same to me. Don't hug my wife, I won't hug your wife. Let us just be virtuous. Let us be above reproach. Let us be morally excellent in matters, especially sexual matters. You could go all throughout the Bible and find story after story after story of people who were just virtuous and exhibited morals. I'm reminded of the, the other story of the apostles before the Sanhedrin council where they're brought in Acts chapter 5 and, and the Sanhedrin council, they say to them, did not we straightly command you not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore? And yet you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine." And they say this, we ought to obey God rather than men. Did you know that in Rome, virtue was not just seen as like chastity and humility, but valor, it actually meant valor and courage. In fact, to, to call one of their men virtuous meant that it was a strong man and a, and a man that was bold and courageous. Did you know that? The word has kind of been dumbed down throughout the years, but, but I'm telling you right now, it took some virtue for the apostles to look in the face of men that had the authority to kill them and just say, I don't care what you're saying. God has told me to be a witness to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. We ought to obey God rather than men. That's virtue. That's morals. That is boldness. That is courage. I'm telling you right now, if God believes it, it will be increasingly unpopular in our world. We need some courageous men and women that will believe what they believe because God said to believe it. What would a virtuous Christian look like in today's world? I would probably say a virtuous Christian would honor Colossians chapter 3 when it says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that the Lord shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. You say, how does that apply? Well, it specifically applies with integrity in the workplace. If your employer's expectation is you be there at 8 o'clock... What time should you be there? Eight o'clock. Well, Brother John would tell me 7.50, you know, because that's Brother John. But, but what I'm trying to say, and here's, here's the real danger. I don't want you to think that this sermon tonight is just teaching Christians how to be good. Because too many Christians are morally good and not morally excellent. We believe certain things that God believes and we align ourselves and we don't do bad things. I mean, we've never steal. We would never kill. We've never commit adultery. We never do those types of things. So we kind of get this sense that we've arrived as a Christian. But I'm, I'm here to tell you being morally good and morally excellent is different. Because only God is morally excellent. And good Christians happen to be godly Christians. We ought to seek after godliness, and if we land on goodness, we've, arrived, we've done something. We ought to seek after goodness, actually, one of our lists tells us. We ought to be good. We ought to endeavor every day to live out good living and morals. You say, why? Because you'll stand out like a sore thumb. I'll never forget, I believe this was at Del Lago. One year, we went to a resort in San Antonio with the experience. I happened to be much too young to go on the young professionals experience. But uh, this was back when they had, you know, a ton of uh, people in it. Um, Mary Bernie was in it. Adam was in it. My sister was in it. Um, Brother Brian, Miss Angela, you guys met at one of these experiences like this. Or maybe y'all had met before, but y'all became interested in one another at one of these. But... But, um, you know, it was a great time. I'll never forget, though, at this one year, Del Lago, they had this big cafeteria, and there were only two groups that ate at this cafeteria. It was 
our group, which was fairly large, about 30 or 40 people. And then there was this very large um, group of black, I, I believe they were Christians. And so it was like a black church group. And be honest with you, I wanted to just go join what they were doing because they looked like they were a lot happier than us. But, but it was cool because we got to interact with them. We got to talk to them. They were great people. I'll never forget one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life was they, they gathered everyone around to take a group picture. Everyone. I mean, there's probably, I'd say at least 70 of them. I mean, it was a very large group. And they get everybody around to take this picture and, you know, it's their group, and they're all having a great time. And right before they take this picture, Luke Taylor sneaks in to this crowd. Could you, and to my knowledge, they never caught you. They never had an idea. Could you imagine being the lady that developed those pictures? You look at this picture, and you see 70 folks of your group. And I don't see color, but in this case, I think you might. <laughs> 70 of your group, you recognize all their faces, and right at the very top of it is this goober-looking white guy going, could you imagine being that lady? How awesome would that be? You imagine Luke sticking out like his horse on there. They want to present like something to their church, like they put it on their projection screen. And here we have our cap. What is that guy doing? It would be awesome. There's no ignoring it, right? Because obviously he doesn't, one of these things does not belong, right? I mean, there would be no avoiding this white guy right in the middle of this picture. Yeah, that's the way I feel about a virtuous Christian, though. Honestly, it's a difficult sermon to preach because, you know, I, I want us to get this idea that virtues and excellent morals align ourselves with the divine nature of God. But it's hard to tell you how you can apply it every day. This is the only thing I can say. Live like Jesus would where you're at. And here's what, what people do is we look at the world as a whole and we're like, oh, the world's getting so bad and every story's bad and everybody's wicked and vile. You cannot control that. All you can control is the area of the world that you reside in. And make the ground you're standing on the most virtuous ground around you. And here's what's going to happen. We'll stick out like sore thumbs. Because virtue in our world is becoming lost. We have to have discussions that frankly make no sense at all. Where are your morals at? Are you a virtuous Christian? God wants you to be. He wants you to add to your faith virtue.